Welcome to the Monday Morning Pastor Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Christianity Today and Kairos Partnerships. Well, hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us again this week on the Monday Morning Pastor Podcast. Um, if you could do us a favor and leave a review or share this with another pastor that you may that that you think this would encourage, uh, we hope that you do that. Again, the Monday Morning Pastor is here to undergird and encourage pastors on the hardest day of the week, which is Monday for many of us. Uh, it's the day that we feel most depleted, the day that we are writing, finishing our second draft of our of our resignation letters, uh, but it's also the day where we sense God needs to meet us the most. And so that's why we exist. That's what we do. Um, and we're just so grateful for the ways in which many of you have been uh, just seeking us out, myself and JR, um, and, and just engaging with us in some really great stuff and some really great content, really great feedback. And again, if there is any thoughts or questions, or if you ever want to connect, check out our show notes. Uh, our emails are there. We'd love to connect with you all. Um, today, we're talking about preaching, and we have not done a ton of podcasts on preaching because we don't really, we don't really have that niche in terms of we're we're trying to help pastors become better preachers. Where we've really tried to stay away from a lot of nuts and bolts stuff over the years. But we couldn't pass this up. Um, Daryl E. Hall is our guest today. JR and myself had a great conversation with him as just thinking through communication, specifically the generations that are present within our church. And you're also going to get a ton of incredibly vulnerable moments uh, in this interview of, of even naming some things that I think many of us have experienced in the last few years. And as communicators, the, the, the hardships that we face as well. So we know you're going to enjoy this. Um, in the next few weeks, we're going to start transitioning into our summer mode, which is we are, we're going to be here putting out new content through the end of July. And then we take August off, um, and then we're going to jump right back in in September. But we're looking forward to the episodes to come. We've got some really good ones here moving us into the summer. But we hope you have a great week this week. is a campus pastor of Elizabeth Baptist Church in Conyers, Georgia, where he regularly preaches and teaches across five generations. He is an experienced preacher and public speaker who has given messages in venues from local Bible studies to, a, to packed NBA arenas. Paul has a demon from Beeson Divinity School, where his doctoral research focused on generational intelligence and effective intergenerational communication. He and his wife, Ebony, have three children. We hope you enjoy this conversation with Daryl E. Hall. Well, Daryl, thank you so much for joining us today on the Monday Morning Pastor. It's good to see your face uh, sitting down in Atlanta. I wish I was there because I haven't had some good food for a long time from that beautiful city. What's up, Doug? How are you, JR? I'm glad <laughs> to be here. And uh, yeah, man, we got some good food, good Southern food, Southern eating. <laughs> it's some good stuff, man. So, um, you know, JR and I had a chance to look over your book, but before we jump into this stuff, I think you have a, a really interesting word for our pastors today, uh, especially as we were talking about preaching and teaching and reaching the generations of our church. But before we jump into that, can you give us a little bit of your story about your calling and your context and, and just some of those particulars? Yeah, Doug, as you mentioned, uh, I live in the Atlanta area. I'm born and raised in, in Atlanta, so I'm a native of the city. And the church where I currently serve on staff 
and where a lot of my lived experience and ministry experience that I, you know, share stories about in the book is a church I was born into. And so my mom was, you know, in the children's choir at the church and she grew up, had me in, and I grew up at the church as well. Uh, a little bit about my personal story, though. When I was born, my mom was 15. I was born uh, and raised into a single family home in the inner city of Atlanta, Georgia. And in many ways, a statistic, you know, when you think about socioeconomic uh, disadvantage and what that may come with, whatever you would imagine, probably about 80% of that imagination or that persona would be, you know, what I was born into and kind of stats that were against me. So God has been good to me, I think, in light of that reality. Loving family, oldest of four, and about the time I was about 15, my mom came to me and she told me that she wanted me to go to college. I had no choice. I had to go to college, but she didn't have any money to send me. And so we were trying to strategize from my freshman year of high school through, you know, ways to earn some scholarships. And so I started to participate in oratorical contests. Uh, it wasn't my idea. It was a teacher's idea. They just brought it to me and, you know, one of my mentors at the Boys and Girls Club. And it just so happened that every arena I was in, school, church, uh, Boys and Girls Club, extracurricular, all had speech competitions. Hmm. So I entered all of them and lost all of them uh, until my senior year in high school where I won all of them. And God just gave me favor. Hmm. And I'm talking about like citywide, statewide, regional, international oratorical contest to the tune of like 30,000 in cash to go to college. And so that was a big marker for me where I really discovered, you know, how God has shaped me. And what's interesting is simultaneously, I was one of those weird teenagers who to deal with the pain that I felt from whatever was going on in my life, I would just read scripture. So I started to read like three chapters in the Bible every night in my room on my own and ended up reading through scripture cover to cover and realized that God was having me speak not to earn money for school, but because he wanted me to, you know, be a preacher. God was calling me to preach. Mm. And so I accepted my call to preach at 17, shared it with my family, my pastor in church. And to be honest, man, I was supported from day one. Mm. I didn't really have much opposition. Not many people discouraged me. Uh, a lot of people were, were, you know, not shocked. I was, <laughs> they weren't. So started preaching at 17 and straight to Bible college out of high school. Uh, got an undergrad, two master's degrees and finished my D man in 2019. Mm. And through that experience served in so many different capacities, like a young adult pastor and youth pastor. Now I'm a campus pastor. Prior to that, I was, you know, in the teen choir leading Bible study. So I've had just so many opportunities at my home church to exercise my gifts and support the body of Christ um, that I believe have uniquely shaped me and that I'm, I'm grateful for. So that's the short of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So talk a little bit about, let's jump in the, the, the book uh, okay. and the book, you know, having come out just recently. Yeah. You know, you talk about in speaking across generations, you know, the importance of, and I love this phrase, I'm, I'm, I'm a big wordsmith, I love wor good words, and you use polyglot, which is yeah. like a super fun word. <laughs> it is. Some people may not know what that means, so you could put it together probably if you break the word down, but talk about what does it mean to be a generational polyglot, and why is that a polyglot 
And why is that actually important in terms of speaking across generations? Yeah, great, great question. And I'm glad that you find as much joy in that word. Oh, and plus, polyglot <laughs> is so fun to say. Polyglot. 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 Yeah. Yo, no joke. I actually used that word three times today. Just like with my kids. I was yeah. like, hey. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, man, polyglot is a fun word. What it means is is the ability to speak multiple languages fluently. And typically, we would use it as it relates to um, you know, languages like English, Spanish, or what have you. My concept in the book is that we can become generational polyglots, meaning that we can study how generations communicate and learn their preference, and we can employ those in the language we use in communicating the gospel or teaching some biblical principle. And I really believe, I hope that the book was encouraging. I really believe that every communicator already speaks at least one or two generational languages fluently. Mm -hmm. We already speak our own generational language fluently. And chances are we speak the, the language of the generation that mentored us fluently because we've heard it from them, you know, for so long. It's just, you know, an unconscious ability we have. So my encouragement and challenge to the readers is to make that stretch to learn the language of the generations twice removed from you or the generations under you and to become a missionary who studies them, their culture, and who makes every effort to contextualize our preaching in the language they prefer and to do it intentionally. And, and I really believe that that's possible to do. It's it's interesting you talk about polyglot and this idea. I literally, no joke, last night my my in-laws are in town and my sister-in-law is in town as well. And we just happened to be talking on the porch last night about how they had just read an article in the Washington Post about somebody who had learned to speak fluently 24 different languages. It was in the Washington Post. And we talked about that of the like, how does that happen? And like how exhausting that is. And so right. <laughs> if we can use that metaphor in the way that you used it in the book, speaking across generations, if we're generational polyglots, a lot of people would hear about this guy who knows 24 different languages and go, that's exhausting. I don't have time for that. Who has time to learn that? I, 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 don't, I don't have margin for that. So what would you say to the listener who might say, man, Daryl, that's a great idea to be a generational polyglot, but I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I have a hard time speaking my own language of my own generation. What would be the encouragement you'd want to to share with them as they think about becoming polyglots of the generations in their churches? Yeah, man, what a great question. First of all, I would uh, identify with their fatigue mm -hmm. um, because it's, I don't think it's possible. This is just me speaking honestly. I don't think it's possible to be true to the call of God on your life and um, and to commit your life to ministry and serving others without you know, um, enduring some fatigue, emotional, mental, spiritual fatigue. And I think we see that through scripture, you know, through the likes of Elijah, if we could use him as a case study, uh, Peter, you know, even our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, you know, um, exasperated, pushed to the limit. So I get it. So I, I would, first of all, identify with the person and acknowledge the fatigue, mm -hmm. but then I would challenge them to hold that fatigue intention with a pain that I think a lot of communicators have that we don't really know how to articulate. 
And that is the pain of who we're not reaching that we feel a burden that we should be reaching. And, you know, that could be a myriad of different types of of folk that God could be calling us to reach. But I think generations is one of those. I think when, when we look at our congregations and who's represented and who's not, who's present, who's absent, I think there's a sting there for Mm -hmm. most communicators who realize or who fear their inability to connect with the generation who's absent. And so what I would challenge them to consider is that fatigue in tension with that pain Mm -hmm. and which one is more acute. Mm -hmm. You know, um, are you more tired than you are hurt or brokenhearted or Mm -hmm. despondent about not being able to reach the generations or are you more, um, you know, frustrated and upset about not reaching the generations than you are tired. I think mm-hmm. if we start at that place, we can kind of deal with the motivation of it all. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the next step would just be, you know, hey, being able to effectively communicate the gospel that we were called to do is worth every effort mm-hmm. we could possibly give to it. And, uh, and many of us know that. And I would just challenge them and encourage them that there's no losing <laughs> in this, uh, especially eternally. But there's no losing even, even on this side. There's no losing to exercise mm-hmm. any effort we can to, mm-hmm. um, to become more effective in how we communicate, especially as I believe the world is going to become more generationally distinct than it even mm-hmm. is racially or ethnically, mm-hmm. uh, you know, distinct. So, you know, I would challenge them on those fronts and, Hopefully uh, identify with them in some ways, too. <laughs> yeah, and continuing that metaphor further, Daryl, I mean, so this guy, this Washington Post article I was mentioning, his name is Vaughn Smith. And and actually, I found that there's a, there's a term they call these people that can memorize or, or know multiple languages, hyper polyglots is, mm-hmm. is the term. And in that, though, what's interesting, I found he's not some Harvard professor. He's a carpet cleaner in D.C. who has a high school education. That's what? it. But what he chooses to do is actually, in his free time, he spends his time studying languages for fun. And so I think wow. that gets to what you're saying. We don't have to be brilliant people, but for him, he's nope. devoting his time and his energy to be able to do that. So we don't have to memorize you know, 24 different languages, but you speak about how there are probably most likely five generations present in our churches. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for our listeners, what are those five generations that would be good for us to know about uh, of people who are probably in our churches? Yeah. And when I, when I speak of the five, I speak of the five generations who have some portion of their cohort in adult population. You know what I'm saying? So those will be elders born before 1945 and before those would be boomers born between 46 and 64. Those would be Gen Xers born between 65 and about 82, 79 to 82, depending upon what bracketing you're looking at. Millennials born between the early 80s and late 90s. So like 83 to 98, some stretch it a little further, 80 to 2000 or 99. Then it would be Gen Zers born from about the turn of the century to about 2012. So those five generations have an adult population and, um, and a constituency that we could, you know, we could uh, include in our research. There's a sixth generation, the alpha generation. Uh, they're all children right now. So they're born from about 2012 till about now. 
I think it's interesting because when you start to think about the different generations, and I really appreciate how you articulated that pain point of there's that space in a preacher and a pastor's life where, you know, where are the millennials or, you know, how do I connect in this space? And and I think in, in some ways, as you talk about learning the language of a generation, a lot of that, uh, and, and in your book, a lot of that is understanding the culture of a generation. Yep. And so I think for some pastors, that can be a scary place, right? Like, does, does that mean I just watch Netflix every day? Like, is that, what, <laughs> is that what generational understanding looks like? But how would you encourage pastors to begin to develop uh, cultural language for each for each generation? I mean, is it just having conversations or what are some ways that are helpful? Yeah, that's a great question. So that that was one of the motivating factors for me to write this book, to hopefully, you know, be that source or one of those sources of inspiration as pastors wanted to develop their understanding of these languages. But a very practical way to do it is, okay, I think the, the most apparent way to do it is kind of what you mentioned, Doug, do I watch Netflix? Do I listen to music that was released circa, you know, <laughs> decade of said generations coming of age years? Those things can give you some concepts into the pop culture that shaped their fads and trends. But I think the mistake we can make as communicators is all that would give us is lingo. And I think language is more than lingo. I think language is persuasion. Is is rhetoric, is reasoning, is how I explain, not if I know the difference between, you know, jive, dope, crunk, and cool. I just went four different generations, right? <laughs> All of those words could mean the same thing, but if I stay at lingo, that's kind of surface. Mm. So what I would encourage speakers to do is, uh, you know, to start with, with the generate, start with, excuse me, the access you have to the people that you serve and create spaces where you can listen and learn, ask open-ended questions. You can do it formally through a focus group, or you can do it informally through the relationships you build intentionally with people that you think will be honest with you um, as you seek to diversify the people in your congregation that you sit with based upon their generational you know, age group. So if I'm, a, if I'm a senior pastor, I would host focus groups. I would probably do it on a regular basis, like if not annually, maybe biannually. And these focus groups don't have to be but an hour long. And we just need representatives from each generation to ask open-ended questions to. I'm talking about like five questions tops. Get you a comfortable room, some good food, make a personal invitation as the leader and do a biannual focus group with the generations in your church, and you will learn so much. And I think what you will learn is not just their language and their generation, which remains static, but you can stay up to date on their life stage needs, which are dynamic, mm. you know, as they age and progress and change and evolve. And I think that would take five hours, right? Five hours for each generational group. Then you can use some software or an assistant or a research you know, an intern or something to help you get the salient things out of that and transcribe that and mm. read it and 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 be a student of the people you serve. Mm. And I think that's the same thing we would do if we were missionaries, you know, going to another country. You know, we, we, we would study the people 
to whom we're going and never get to a place where we're not studying hmm. them, right? We would always be studying them, even if we were, you know, uh, a foreign missionary for 20 years in, in, in another culture and country. So I would encourage pastors to, yeah, engage with pop culture as much as you can stomach it, but don't make the cheap, tr- don't make the cheap trade of lingo for language. I think that's you see what I'm saying? Yeah. That's a great that's yeah. a great differentiation. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And I think too, like it almost sounds like in the book, and even as we're having this discussion, you're you're looking at these generations as almost like people groups with uh with with ethnicity and and the whole like it's it's almost like a very it's a much bigger picture of diversity than I think many pastors listening may have thought about diversity, right? Yep. So, yep, my, yep. My, and that's intentional. I'm, I'm guessing, correct? That is. It's intentional, and it's, a, it, it's for me. I see it, but for some, it may be a stretch. But I do want to challenge the listeners and potential readers to consider generations as people groups. Now, when we think about demographic factors that create lenses through which people see the world, right? Worldview. Race is one, or ethnicity, or nationality, right? Uh, Gender is one. Socioeconomic status is one. Educational level may be one. Now, JR, occasionally we're going to get a Vaughn, like the guy you mentioned, who completely throws a wrench in all of this. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, political lens is another. And so we 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 understand all these lenses that affect the way people receive what we say. I think the generational lens is one that we don't understand as much or is not as apparent as some of the other lenses. Mm-hmm. And so I do think generations are people groups. Now, when you define a people group, what I mean by people group is this this cohort or this subset of humanity through which a message can travel without running into language or culture barriers mm. right we, we know this intuitively as it relates to ethnicity that if we were to start a church in a haitian community that the gospel message could travel without culture or language barriers through that haitian community um you know pretty easily because that's a people group i, I, would, I would argue the same with millennials that mm. millennials communicate without language or culture barriers mm. compared to if the congregation was or the group or cohort was interspersed with people from different age groups. And so I do believe if we look at generations as people groups, what we'll discover is they have a culture. They have a lens through which they see the world. They were shaped in their communication preferences by sociological, political, and pop culture factors during their coming of age years. And this shaped the way they receive or prefer to receive communications. Communication, that's a part of their generational language, um, as I like to kind of define it and describe it. I think I think some people's heads are like stopping and be like, all right, I need to listen to this part again because there was a lot okay. of information in that. But I, I think it's really interesting because it 
I mean, my sense is there's two responses to that like one response is, oh my gosh, like, how am I going to, you know, I'm just trying to be faithful to teach in scripture and, you know, how am I going to yeah. learn all these other languages? Or I think there's the other person who hopefully is beginning to see what you said earlier when you said you're already speaking two languages, whether you realize right. it or not. Right. And, mm -hmm. and I feel like those having, holding those two things in tension, you know, with the pain point as well is a really, really important space. And this is, this is, I mean, even just thinking for the pastor's like, all right, you got me. I'm, I'm in, like, I get this, or at least I think I get this. So super practical question. Like, how does, how does, how does the Reverend Dr. Daryl Hall um, sermon prep on a, on a <laughs> weekly basis? Like, what does that look like? Just like, yeah. just nuts and bolts practice. I think for pastors as they're thinking like, man, this is huge, but what, what might that look like on a Tuesday for you as you're prepping? Yeah, great question. So, you know, as pastors, we use tools and hacks and strategies. Our sermon prep has to be almost a well-beaten path through the process that we become acquainted with and it becomes acquainted with us. And so all I want to do is encourage speakers to add a tool to the tools you're already using. And I share that tool in the book, which is a, a life stage grid of generations they're the name of the cohort, the age range they're in, and the life stage you're in. And you just update that tool annually. Uh, and then what you do is, what you do on a week-to-week -week basis, I think, is informed by what you do on an annual or quarterly basis. Meaning, if you plan out, right, your idea of what I, where I want to go sermonically, either an annual preaching menu or plan, or quarterly, or monthly, however you do it, then the week to week, I believe, gets a little bit more creative. So let's say, for example, if um, if um, all right, so we 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 just finished a series about the Sabbath at our church prior to Resurrection Sunday, and if we're preaching about the Sabbath from different passages, we didn't stay in one book, and we take a three to four week approach to the Sabbath. I'll look at, from, from week to week, I'll look at phrasing and rephrasing either the main sermon points or the main concepts I want people to get in a different generational language. So I'll, I'll spin Sabbath. Sabbath means rest. All right. How, how many different ways can I say that? I could hit it on the nose to speak to the older group. I can tease it for that boomer group. I can add in some statistics and information for that extra group. I can ask questions to dialogue about it for that that uh, that that millennial group, or I could speak about its relational impact and health on our connection with God for that uh, that Gen Z group. And so on a Tuesday, what I will be thinking is, how did I approach it this last week? Right, and once I've done exegetical tools, stay the same, keep that beaten path. I this is not about. <laughs> rearranging exegetical lenses or approaches study your text prepare your text the way you do but as you get ready to put studied text into sermon proposition that's where you think about the concept in a different way than you probably presented it you know the weeks prior so if you got four or five sundays in a month and this month you want to talk about finances one of the ways you could do it is recast the language or rhetorical approach each week to speak 
to the preference of a different generation um, or, or intentionally include some elements that may appeal to a different generation as you move throughout and think about intentionally doing that in, in the way you explain uh, you know, what you study. Does that make sense? Now, what I do on a Tuesday, I'm reading a passage. My professor would tell me to read it 50 times. <laughs> I don't read it 50 times, Dr. Smith. I confess. <laughs> you, heard, you heard it here first. We're giving confessions, confessions, Woo! pastoral confessions on the podcast. It's a, it's a, it's a new series we're going to do. So, um, so Daryl, I'm curious. What I know there are churches, some are, you know, real young churches, right? They've got, Mm -hmm. you know, under 35, which is great. So they've got one or two generations, or there's, you know, several churches I know of more traditional churches, they're older, and they've only got people that are like 60 and above. And -hmm. I can just hear potentially the pastors who might be listening saying, Hey, I get what you're saying, Daryl, but I only have one, maybe two generations in my church. Why would I need to learn the other generations? If I'm only ministering to these people in this specific generation or two, why learn all five? Um, how would you want to speak to listeners who might who might think something like that? Man, that's a great question, and I and I don't think that's a um, a reach. I think a lot of pastors we could be thinking that, mm. um, you know. And what's interesting is my friend Hayden Shaw ended up doing uh, the forward for my book, and he and I starkly disagree. On uh, on this, he believes that churches shouldn't even try. He believes churches should stay the way you just described. Mm. Hey, be content with the one to two generations you're reaching. Don't even try because you're going to end up breaking something <laughs> that is working, <laughs> trying to add something uh, as you experiment with it. And I, I strongly disagree with Hayden. He knows it. He mentioned it in the book. And, uh, and we've talked about it as well. Here's what I would say. I would ask this question whether it's a young pastor like me or an older senior pastor, and you're only reaching one to two generations, my question, my first question would be this. Are you only reaching those two generations because they are present? Or are those two generations the only ones present? Cause those are the ones you're reaching. Like which one came first cart or cart or, or, or horse. And I think sometimes as pastors, we think that we only minister to who's giving, who is faithful, who is who is leading and helping the church. But we do have um, the opportunity, if we should see it this way, to speak to who's not in the room mm. that we want to see in the room. Timothy Keller talks about this in his book, Center Church, that if you want to see urbanites in your church, you have to speak to them before they show up. Right now, if we were thinking this ethically, eth- ethnically, from an ethnic people group standpoint, my church is a uh, predominantly black church. It is ninety nine point nine percent black, <laughs> meaning I know the people of different ethnicities by name and by face when they show up. Okay, if we have a strong Hispanic community and population down the street, and I was asking why aren't they showing up, and why would I waste my time to learn Spanish? <laughs> right. But if I sensed the Lord was calling me and I felt this burden to reach them, we could, if we wanted, make the adjustments to include them into our fellowship. Or a lot of churches just, hey, we'll get a Spanish church and put them at 4 p.m. and let them use the space. 
But let's say if we wanted to make this an inter-ethnic church, what would be one of the first things I would have to do? I would have to learn Spanish, find somebody who knows it, before I could even get to relationship building, before they can even feel comfortable to come to my church, before this would even be a space they would consider their language um, would have to be honored, learned, respected, used faithfully. So I would say to those pastors, hey, if you're only reaching two generations, are you only reaching two generations because they're present or are they the only ones present because those are the only ones that you're reaching and speaking to? And I'm not saying it like it's not a scary proposition. I'm not saying it like it's not an overwhelming or, or, or there's some fear that could be attached to it or some anxiety. What I'm saying is, if you know as an older pastor that the average age of your church is 55 and older, and you feel the, the burden to ensure this church lives past those who put so much into it, you know, I think this will be a worthy effort to begin this practice. And then for me as well. Yeah, I'm a millennial pastor, but I'm a millennial by birth. But I, I want my church to have the benefit of the elders and boomers who mature, uh, excuse me, who uh, mentor and pour into the younger generation. You know, so let me learn their language. Let me adjust my approach to try to reach them. Yeah, I I think first of all, thank you so much for sharing this because I I feel like this is such an important conversation that's even hard to find language for for many of us because <laughs> right. we just don't know how to talk about it. Right. Um, but I, I want to also flip back to a question that we ask a lot of our guests and like, how do you stay fresh? Um, what are spiritual practices and rhythms that you have in place that just help you? have that time and space to connect with Jesus and the rest and, and in the recharging that he has for you. Oh man, what a great question. Um, before I answered, I'll just confess, man, I've, I've been in full-time ministry since 2009. And, uh, and I can reflect on some seasons where I was just going, 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 going. I mean, two, three months without a day off, you know, mm. type deal. Interspersed with international mission trips and youth group trips to Florida and preaching and teaching multiple times on Sunday. So I've experienced the exhaustion of what it feels like to um be serving the Lord and not sitting with the Lord, not not spending time with him. Where I am now, man, is 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 different, you know. So some of the things I do, first of all, I take off every Monday. So I think your podcast is appropriately named. <laughs> we named it for you, Daryl. <laughs> Thank you. I feel understood and seen and loved. <laughs> so Mondays, man, I, you know, I take Mondays off. Another thing I do is um, I read the word, which is not easy to do, but it's necessary, I think, and, and healthy. I read the word outside of my exegetical work. And that hasn't always been easy for me to do because sometimes you can conflate the two. Hey, I read the Bible as a job, you know, <laughs> because Reverend Hall is ready to preach. Daryl is ready to live. And those two things don't always come together. So God has got me on this cool assignment where now I'm reading through scripture, uh, a millennial, right? I'm reading through a paper Bible, open, open bound Bible. I'm reading it out loud verbally 
uh, making highlights and then going back in my journal and creating somewhat, I don't know what God wants me to do with it, but right now it's like a running commentary, devotional type, nothing researched or academic. It's just my, my musings and, and thoughts on what the Holy Spirit is speaking to me. Hmm. And so I spend my time doing that in the mornings uh, when I can in the evenings if I have to. Uh, another thing I do is I, I'm going to add two more things. So another thing I do is I take my fitness seriously and I drink a lot of water. Now, <laughs> I'm going to be transparent. I got into fitness as a healthy way to deal with anger because when the uh, pandemic hit, I had just finished my doctorate. This was before I even wrote the book and I was mentally exhausted and didn't know how empty I was and that I was running on fumes and the pandemic hit and I was angry at God and circumstances and, you know, um, and so I, I really started fitness as a, a healthy outlet for anger and frustration and sadness, not even just to, you know, take care of my temple. It was nothing. <laughs> it was no biblical, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> motive. I was just really sad mm. and scared and afraid. Mm. And I didn't want to turn to some old habits that God is delivering me from trying to, you know, self-medicate. So got into fitness, drink a lot of water. Here's another thing I adopted during the pandemic, which I live by to this day. Anything. Okay. All right, I'm gonna preface it this way. You know, in Romans 14, I just finished talking about it with the Sabbath. I think it's verses two and three where Paul is saying, hey, some people honor every day the same, and some people honor one day above others. All right. So what? Uh, something I adopted during the pandemic is anything I would wait to Friday to do, I do a little bit of Friday every day. Mm. I love that. Uh, so, you know, if it's video games, I like, you know, I got an Xbox. I love it. You know, if it's a movie, if it's a sitcom, if it's a, if it's a snack, right? If I'm a, you know, eat me a brownie. If whatever I would wait until my day to do, um, or most people will wait to the weekend to do because weekends are work for us. But I, I do a little bit of Friday every day, hmm. and I needed to unwind because uh, I'm one of those people who is always in this, you know. So I need something to turn it off, something to. Unwind. So I try to do a little bit of Friday every day, man. Something fun, something unconventional that I wouldn't do on a Wednesday or a Tuesday. You know what I'm saying? Because it's a a work day or what what have you. So I think those are really helpful. Um, first of all, thanks for being transparent. And also thank you yeah. for just naming even just the anger and sadness that you experienced. Yeah. And I there's something about having very physical, simple practices, right? Like, yes. <laughs> you know, you, you didn't, you didn't name these really high, pie in the sky, like weird things. You just named like, yeah, I drink a ton of water. I work out, I read scripture, a journal, and I watch Netflix sometimes at night <laughs> on Friday. You know, I, I think that's super helpful for pastors to hear because we, 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 we need permission. I think a lot of times we need yep. permission. Um, yeah. So we're wrapping up. Um, Daryl, thank you so much for coming on. Can you leave us with the benediction and leave the pastors who are listening with the benediction today? Yes. Um, one of my favorite benedictions is, uh, is the doxology in Jude. And I think a lot of us have used it, but 
I do want to just emphasize his promises uh, to, to the pastor from the standpoint of, you know, God's assurances to us. Now unto him, that is Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, who is able to keep you. He's able to keep you from what? From falling. You know, a lot of us as pastors are more in touch with our humanity sometimes than I think we are with God's divinity. And I get it because there are, long, there are a lot of times where there are long seasons that we serve just out of obedience without even really feeling that joy or that peace or that unction that we once felt. But now unto him who's able to keep you, he'll keep you from falling, falling mm-hmm. what into sin, into depression, into anxiety, uh, into the hands of Satan. Now unto him who's able to keep you from falling. And that means in addition to that, and present you faultless, meaning he full well knows your humanity, full well knows your patent flaws, as Sanders would describe it. He full well knows the thorns in your flesh, the blind spots in your uh, self-awareness, but he will present you faultless. He will present you without fault. Now unto him who's able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless, before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. <laughs> Meaning we're going to actually see this God who dwells in unapproachable light. <sighs> These eyes will behold the one who sits on the throne in the white robe with the golden sash and the hair like wool and the eyes like fire. Before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be honor, dominion, majesty, and power, both now and forevermore. Amen. 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 Well, thanks for joining us on this episode of the Monday Morning Pastor. Our passion is to serve, partner with, and equip hungry pastors and kingdom leaders just like you. Have you ever considered engaging in pastoral or ministry coaching? We have a team of coaches at Kairos Partnerships available to serve you. If you want to know more, log on to our website at kairospartnerships.org for a free 30-minute coaching call to give it a test drive. Thanks again for listening. We're grateful you tuned into this episode. We'll catch you next week for another episode. God bless and bless God. Thank you.